All right, welcome back. I am your host, Levi Johnny Griffin, and hello, SoundCloud world. Today is our first upload to SoundCloud, that channel, that platform. So welcome all the SoundCloud listeners. Today we're going to be talking about the 10 ways to be a more effective Christian. Let's go. All right. So the 10 ways to be a more effective Christian, you guys might hear birds chirping. That's why I kind of changed the intro up here in the editing, because that uh, sample track there actually had like birds chirping. It was recorded outdoors, the same place I am now. So I thought it was kind of befitting to have the birds chirping and all of that. So if you hear noise in the background, people swimming in the pools, it's literally because I'm, you know, I'm out in this really cool, awesome place um, getting a chance to record. All right. So uh, the 10 ways to be a more effective Christian, you know, let's let's just jump right in. All right. Starting with Luke nine, Luke nine, verse 10. When the apostles returned, they told Jesus everything they had done. Then he slipped quietly away with them toward the town of Bethsaida. But the crowds found out where he was going and they followed him. He welcomed them and taught them about the kingdom of God, and he healed those who were sick. Verse 12, late in the afternoon, the 12 disciples came to him and said, send the crowds away to the nearby villages and farms so they can find food and lodging for the night. There is nothing to eat here in this remote place. 13, but Jesus said to them, you feed them. You feed them. All right. So the number one way to be a more effective Christian is you feed them. So Jesus, so imagine this, and I just want to kind of, kind of put, you know, paint the picture, paint the mood here. So they're out in the, they're out basically like, and and I won't say in the middle of nowhere, uh, you know, but they are kind of outside uh, to the town of Bethsaida and people don't have anything to eat, you know, nothing to eat. People are hungry uh, and, you know, there's tons of people there. And, G- and they're coming to Jesus and saying, hey, um, <clears throat> you know, it's late in the afternoon. Um, we probably need to send the crowds away to nearby villages and farms so they can kind of try to find somewhere to sleep, get some food. Because we're kind of not really in a place to be able to feed them. And there's maybe not towns, you know, close enough here to house them all. So we, we kind of need to make a move, Jesus. And Jesus turns around and says, look, how about you feed them? And I'm sure they're looking around kind of like um, us. What do you what do you mean? We, we we don't we not McDonald's, man. We don't got food to to feed them, you know. Uh, and there's there's kind of a, a huge, 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 huge point here. Um, and the point is you feed them. I've got caught. You know, I'm guilty of this. You know, I you know I love my church and I, you know, I've grown a lot at the church and I have a long way to go, but I've come from a long way. And I thank Jesus, you know, Jesus, take a moment to thank you for bringing me the, the long way you've brought me because you brought me a long way. And I thank you for it. And with that, we have a tendency to forget that we can bring other people a long way. We can bring them along. Um, so what we want to do is we kind of stay on that milk. We never kind of grow up to the meat. Um, if you know, you've been in church for a while, you've heard that philosophy 
and it's you know kind of like Similac and uh, you know child's milk going up to adult food. And we grow, and we want to just point people back toward what grew us. So we want to go, hey man, you need to come to my church, or you need to talk to my youth pastor, or my pastor. You need to talk to the people that I'm talking to. Um, that way you can uh, get what I got. But Jesus is saying, listen, you're my disciple. You can tell your testimony. You feed them. You don't need to send them away because that's that's what you be doing. Maybe you're at work. Maybe you're in a grocery store. Maybe you're hanging out at a friend's house and you're trying to send them away to the church. Now, you, you may be at the church with them, but you're saying in this moment, I can't feed you. You need to go to the church. You need to speak to this person. And Jesus is saying, hey, man, you feed them. You feed them. You have something in your pocket. You have a testimony. You, you prepare a testimony that in those situations you can go, bam, Jesus, I was doing this. Jesus delivered me to this. And then this happened. Wow. And let the Lord move. So the, one way to be a more effective Christian is we don't need to appoint people. Now, if people ask, hey, what church do you go to? You know, is there someone I can talk to? Hey, do it. But have a I can feed them mentality, not an arrogant. Hey, all you need is me. No. But you are able to tell them about Jesus. So first step in being a more effective Christian is just know that you can feed them. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So the spirit that's on that person can't uh, can feed off of the spirit that's in you. And that's the Holy Spirit. So you can feed them. You have something to offer. If God has delivered you from anything, has brought you out of anything, share that. You can feed them. And then from there, if they're willing to go, then, yeah, great. But 90 out of 100 people that you invite to church will never go. So do you let those 90 starve or do you feed them? Moving along, Luke 9, starting at verse 18. We're going to be a lot of Luke 9. Uh, one day, Jesus left the crowds to pray alone. Only his disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do people say I am? OK, First Corinthians 9, verse 19. Even though I am a free man, this is Paul talking now. Even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who follow the Jewish law, I too lived under the law. Even though I am not subject to the law, I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. When I am with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. When I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness for I am for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I might myself be disqualified. Two huge, huge, huge messages here. But they align. Luke 9, Jesus says, hey, who do the people, he's talking to his disciples, say that I am. Second way to be a more effective Christian is Know your audience. Know your audience. He says, who do people say that I am? What does he want? He want them to say, oh, the people say this, the people say that. So you know 
the people's perspective. He also goes on to say, well, who do you say that I am? Because you can't know, um, you can't really effectively talk to someone if you don't know their perspective. And you also have to know your own perspective. Paul in 1 Corinthians says, hey, to the Jewish people, I be I act like a Jew. If they don't eat, uh, you know, pork, I won't eat pork. It's no biggie. It's no skin off my nose. It's no biggie. If people, if I'm with a Gentile and they eat pork and they don't uphold the Jewish law, then that's fine. I'll eat pork. It's not breaking Christ's law. It's just not obeying the Jewish law. So it's really, it's no big deal. I'll eat the pork. If I'm with someone who's weak, they say, hey, man, I've struggled in this and I've struggled in that. Then I say, hey, man, I've struggled with this. I've, you know, done this to Christians before I got saved and the Lord had to deliver me. He shares his weakness. He says, listen, man, I'm not just shadow boxing. I'm in this thing. I'm going to be everything to everyone for the purpose of winning. I run to win and that's to win a soul to Christ. So you have to know your audience and you also have to know yourself. You have to know yourself. So if, for example, say you're, you're dealing with the clan, right? You're dealing with the clan and you know that they're, you know, white supremacists or they're not, uh, they don't love all people, but say that you're a, you know, one, like a, black activists or, you know, black panther or something, and you're pumping your fist like, hey, you know, I'm going to go and tell all of these white supremacists and I'm going to hold my fist up. And yeah, you know them, you know their stance, but you don't realize your own bias. You don't realize that you being, uh, you know, super pro, you know, blackness is, is not going to go over well with them. You're not going to win them that way. So you have to know their their position. Then Jesus says, OK, who do you say? You have to know your own position. And with that, you can temper your message to fit their heart. You can go and say, hey, you guys believe that there is one group of people that is superior to everyone else. And I'll go, yeah, yeah, we believe that there is one group that is superior and all others need to serve them. And then you can go, yeah, I agree with this. I agree that there is one group of people and that everyone else should serve them. And that group of people are the weak, the hurt, the estranged, the broken. And all who believe in Jesus, you and me alike, need to serve them to help them to get whole again. And you can begin to preach your message from a paradigm they understand. Know your audience. A funny story. I finished a book by Trevor Noah called Born a Crime. Great, great book. And he talks about he was a DJ and he had a dance crew. Uh, and they would go around South Africa and, you know, dance and he would DJ, you know, whatever. That's that was horrible. Uh, but <laughs> but uh, he would DJ. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why that's so funny to me. I guess it's funny because it's horrible. Uh, but he would go around and DJ and the people would, you know, just pump their fists and they would jam and and his and his friends would break dance. And the lead break dancer's name was Hitler. And they would go, go Hitler, go Hitler. And everybody would break dance and dance and they would be jamming. Uh, and then uh, he says, OK, so they would tour and they, their dance group got really big and the DJ got really big. Um, but then they got booked to go to a Jewish school, Jewish kids, Jewish teachers. And he's DJing. Everybody's jamming and jamming. You know, they're having a good time. And now it's time for the dance uh, part of the, the entertainment. 
And so Hitler comes up, he jumps out in front, start dancing, and people stay having a good time. And then they start pumping their fists, and over the microphone, Trevor Noah starts screaming, "Go Hitler, go Hitler!" And all of this is true. This is true. This is in his book, Born a Crime. You have to list, uh, go listen to it at Audible or buy the book, and it's great. And uh, I love Audible. Shout out to Audible. <clears throat> They're not a sponsor. They need to be one of my sponsors. But um, but go Hitler, go Hitler, and the Jews stop. All of the kids stop. The teachers stop. Everyone is absolutely like. Oh, wow. Wow. So know your know your audience. Um, you want to reach someone, you got to speak their language, not yours. Moving on, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 27. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Right? I myself might be disqualified. Don't correct others. Number three, in areas you struggle in. There's another scripture I didn't list it here. If you're going through my notes with me, hopefully you are. I put the link in the description bar. But if I have an issue with chocolate, I may not want to go correct somebody with chocolate. There's another scripture that says, hey, look at the, you know, the big beam in your own eye before you get the speck out of somebody else's eye. I have a problem with chocolate, you know. I'm a glutton for chocolate. I might not want to walk up to somebody else and take their snicker bar and go, hey, buddy. Hey, but you, you need to not be eating five of these a day. And then I walk off. Then five minutes later, you might see me hiding behind the lockers or something, eating that snicker bar. You know, they come in like, hey, 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 you just took that from me. What are you going? And I'm like, you know, the Lord told me that I needed to dispose of the evil. No, (laughs) like, what's going on, man? What's going on? You know, if I have a a problem, uh, you know, with lust i may not want to go preach to people in strip clubs you know you might not want to correct others in areas you struggle in he says paul says hey you know i fear that after preaching to others i may myself be disqualified i need to keep my body trained up like an athlete i need to be disciplined in what i do i got to be disciplined and i need to be wise avoid areas that mm, i might not want to touch Now, that doesn't mean if you see someone doing wrong that you can't, you know, you say, hey, I have a problem with uh, eating chocolate bars. So now I can't tell this person not to lie. I can't, you know, encourage them and encourage them not to lie and uh, to seek God in that area. No, it doesn't disqualify you from everything. But be careful not to disqualify your whole ministry because of this one flawed area. Luke nine, moving on. Verse 19. Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah and others say you are one of the other ancient prophets risen, risen from the dead. And this is to the question, uh, who do they say that I am? And then going on to verse 20, then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Peter replied, you are the Messiah sent from God. So we talked earlier uh, where Jesus asked, hey, man, who do they say that I am? And they answered, hey, some say you are, you know, John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Some say this. Some say that. Then he says, who do you say I am? Peter replied, you are the Messiah sent from God. Number four, know what you believe. Know what you believe. Now to help you out with uh, number two, which was know your audience, know what you believe. So number four, know what you believe. I took this philosophy class at the uh, University of Incarnate Word where I have my undergraduate degree from. And the philosopher teacher, Dr. Dumkey, to me, is the best philosophy teacher in the world. I I would stamp that. I would 
signed my name to that seven times, seven times seven, right? He is phenomenal. And the reason I love him so much is because he forced you to know what you believe. People hated him. People absolutely hated him. They gave him bad reviews as a teacher. Uh, someone keyed his car. One of the classes before us, he was telling the story how someone keyed his car. Um, and they just hate him. Everybody says you can't get, he gives you, he messes up your GPA. He gives out C's. And, and the thing is, people just hated that because Dr. Dumpke wouldn't allow you to buffalo your way through the class. You couldn't bluff your way through. You couldn't buffalo your way through. So you would say, all right, Jesus is Lord. And his response would be, why? How? Show me. He would give you counterpoints to what you believe. And you had to defend what you believe. Just saying, I believe it was never a good enough answer. And people hated them because people that had just walked by faith and not by study, right? Study to show yourself approved. And walked by faith and never researched their faith, never read their Bible to understand their faith, never pushed their faith further than what they heard once a week on Sunday for 30 minutes between hugging people and daydreaming. And they hated him for it. Know what you believe. Be able to answer someone if they say, why Jesus and not Buddha? Be able to answer someone if they say, well, there are many religions. Why should I be a Christian? Because not everybody's attacking. Some people are searching and they just need, they need to, that, that resolve. I was one of those people. I'm brought, I was brought up Christian, but at some point, I want to say I'm maybe 18, 19, I decided, hey, man, do I believe in Jesus because my family, you know, believed in Jesus and they kind of forced this on me? Or do I believe in Jesus because I believe in Jesus? So, yeah, some people are searching. And you can help them find the answer. So just know what you believe. And people know when you're just bluffing. They know when you're buffaloing. Oh, well, man, and no, man, people know it. You can't buffalo them. People are smart. And if you go around in life thinking that people are smarter than you, when you talk to them, you'll always give them straight answers. Luke 9, verse 21, moving on. Jesus warned his disciples not to tell anyone who he was. The son of man must suffer many terrible things, he said. He will be rejected by the elders, the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. He will be killed. But on the third day, he will be raised from the dead. He will be killed. He will be rejected. He will suffer many terrible things. Number five, do not sell people a perfect life. Sell them a perfect death. Life will be rough, people, but heaven will be sweet. To everyone that is saved, everyone that makes it, everyone that sees it. Depression is high, high, high among Christians. Maybe higher among Christians than others. I don't know, but depression is extremely high among Christians. And the reason is a lot of preachers, a lot of Saved people, they they teach that once you are saved, you walk on a bed of roses. Life will be great. Uh, you'll have a a Lincoln uh, like Matthew McConaughey. You will you will just be uh, blessed. Your problems will be gone. Jesus will lift you out of the dirt and bring you into the holy of holies. You won't have any problems. You won't cry no more. The Bible never says that. The Bible says in heaven, you won't worry about crying or death or pain. It doesn't say that on earth. It actually says the opposite. It says that Jesus himself 
suffered many terrible things and were rejected by the elders, people that he looked up to, the leading priests, his leaders rejected him, the teachers of religious law, all the people he loved and would have respected, that everyone would have respected, turned on him, killed him. But he was raised on the third day. Christians believe, man, and the reason they're so depressed is because they don't understand. They think something is wrong with them, where if I'm supposed to be blessed, why am I not blessed right now? supposed to be blessed why am i having financial hardship why did my husband leave me or my wife leave me or why did i get raped or why did my child die i'm supposed to be blessed and everything's supposed to be good they preach this and they believe this and they're broken so they're highly depressed because they think this is not supposed to be going they don't understand they don't understand but when you tell someone you know what this world is full of problems but we live according to jesus's commands and we will rise again in the heaven that doesn't have these problems then their hope isn't in this world it's in heaven where it should be don't sell people a perfect life sell them a perfect death when you die you will be raised again like christ that's what the word says you'll be raised again like christ into beauty into blessing into heaven moving on luke 9 verse 23 then he said to the crowd if any of you wants to be my follower you must turn from your selfish ways take up your cross daily and follow me if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but are yourself lost or destroyed? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message, the son of man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in his glory and in the glory of the father and the holy angels. I tell you the truth. Some standing here right now will not die before they see the kingdom of God. Listen, this is Jesus talking. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. That means that is repentance. The word repent means to turn, turn away from. Doesn't mean, oh, Lord, God, forgive me. I'm sorry I did this. That's not repentance. Repentance literally means to turn, to stop sinning, basically. Now, does that mean you'll walk perfect for the rest of your life? No, that means you'll make mistakes. When you make a mistake, you turn away from it. You stop the mistake. You make a uh, hard beeline away from the mistake. When you stumble, you get back up and you keep pushing. You keep praying. You pray harder on it. You you move away from it. You speak in tongues. You pray. You ask God for his spirit to move away from it. Uh, so you must turn from yourself as ways. Take up your cross daily. All right. You don't want to be disqualified. Take up your cross. Follow me. That means you have to move your feet. If you try to hang on to your life, the stuff that you used to love and do before me, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, all of those ambitions that you had that were counter to Jesus, you had an ambition to be the greatest gangster rapper in the world. Now you have Jesus. You have to give it, give that up. Maybe you'll be the maybe your new desire to be the, the greatest preacher in the world, or greatest Christian rapper in the world. Someone that actually preaches about Jesus for the purpose of not selling records, but saving souls. We have Christian rappers. I've heard them that they're still trying to sell records and they, you can't really tell them from secular artists. You will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you are, but yourself lost or destroyed, but you are lost. You are destroyed. Your soul is destroyed. You go to hell. What's the purpose of making all the money and losing your soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message, the son of man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in his glory and in the glory of the father and the holy angels. I tell you the truth. Some standing right here will not die before they see the kingdom of God. Number six, do not teach grace without works. Teach that they have to turn away from sin, that they have to pick up their cross daily and they have to follow Jesus. Now, this is probably one of the most controversial next to baptism. If you hadn't heard my podcast on baptism, go and 
wordtoday.org and definitely listen to it. Um, but next to baptism, this is probably the greatest controversy in the church. It's probably, thinking about it, greater. Grace versus works. I think it is greater. The greatest controversy um, is grace versus works. There's people that say, it's all about grace. You can go out there and rape three people, and it's fine, as long as you believe in Jesus and what he did on the cross. And then there's people on the other extreme that says, oh, no, if you're not uh, walking old ladies across the street every day and you're not uh, speaking in tongues twice a day and you're not feeding the homeless every day and letting eight homeless people live with you, then you are just uh, lost. Now, the problem with that is simple. Both are kind of wrong. The Bible says faith without works is dead. Yes, you need to believe in Jesus, but there should be evidence of that belief. If you go to Walmart and you buy groceries, they give you a receipt. Now, your receipt isn't payment for the groceries. But your receipt is evidence that the groceries were paid for. That receipt isn't the payment for the groceries. You didn't bring in a receipt and they gave you the groceries, right? Not unless you ordered online. And once again, the receipt isn't the payment. The receipt is just the evidence that the groceries have been paid for. Your works isn't the payment. The blood of Jesus Christ is the payment for your sins, for your life, for your eternal life, for all of the sins being washed away, for your blessing that will come in this life and definitely in the next life. The blood of Christ is the payment. If you have a red letter Bible, those red letters is the payment. Jesus is life and death. But the receipt is evidence that they've been paid for. Your works is evidence. When you help that old lady, the Bible says, hey, man, you give somebody a drink of water in the name of a prophet. It's like you'll get a prophet's reward. It's like the prophet himself did it. The work didn't didn't make you a prophet, but you'll get the reward. The work was the receipt. The work was the receipt. You're not helping the old lady across the street to get saved. But since you've been saved, the Holy Spirit lives in you. The joy and peace of God rests upon you. That urges you, that makes you, that compels you to help the old lady across the street and to feed the homeless and to not cuss people out and to hug people and to love those that that, uh, do you wrong. You're not trying to earn your way into heaven. That works in the payment for your sin. But since you've been saved under the blood of Christ and you know where God has brought you from, you are so joyous and so happy and so full of the love. You want to help people. The works is the receipt. That's why it says faith without works is dead. You say you believe, but where's the receipt? You say you pay for these groceries. You say these groceries were paid for. Rather, you say these groceries were paid for. Someone pay for them for you. Okay, well, where's the receipt? You just walk in or order this online. Where's the receipt? Oh, I don't have any receipt. There's no evidence. The works isn't the payment. It's just the evidence that has been paid for. It's just a receipt. Receipt isn't the payment. It's just the evidence that the groceries were paid for. Moving on, Luke 9. Will everyone, while everyone was marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, verse 44, Listen to me and remember what I say. The son of man is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. Seven, expect betrayal and don't be disheartened by it. You know, as a I wasn't say, I won't say as a new Christian, but as a new on fire, born again Christian, I was really hurt when I was betrayed by people outside of the church, by people inside the church. It stung for a lot of years. And even I try to get over and I try to love them. But the way I got over and I, I recommend this to anyone is just to pray for them. Really, 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 really pray Really pray for him, love on him, pray for him, love on him, pray for him some more and love on him. 
um, it's really just the best way, the absolute best way uh, to get over betrayal and, and hurt. Um, but, you know, that's that, that it hurt me. So now when someone betrays me or something, it's I really love them. I just is water off a of duck's back, you know, um, especially the level I'm on. It's no it's And when I say the level I'm on, it's not like I'm on some high level. That's not what I mean. I mean that the level where God has me in life, it, I think it's a low level. I know he's bringing me way bigger places. So the stuff on this low level where I'm at, you know, I just learn to blow it off. No big deal. No big deal. Oh, you hated on me. You tried to get me fired. You tried to get me disgraced. You tried to, you know, blah, blah, blah. No, I love you. And I, I honestly love them anyway and try to take them to because Jesus said, hey, man, they hated on me. They're trying to kill me. What do you think they'll do this to the master? What do you think they're going to do to the servants? If they don't respect the king, then, you know, they're not going to respect anybody that serves the king. So people betray you, hate on you. Just love them. Pray for them. Pray for the kids. Pray for their family. Pray for them to be blessed. Don't lure yourself to argue with them. Don't lure yourself to fight with them. Just love them. Got to deal with them. Got to deal with you. Don't worry about it. Let it roll. Luke 9, verse 46. That's all I had to say about that. Luke 9, verse 46. Then his disciples began arguing about which of them was the greatest. But Jesus knew their thoughts, so he brought a little child to his side. Then he said to them, anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me also welcomes my father who sent me. Whoever is the least among you is the greatest. Number eight, the work is important, not the worker. They're fighting over who's going to be the greatest in heaven. Hey, I'm going to be the boss in heaven next to Jesus. Oh, no, I'm going to be the boss. No, I'm going to be the boss. Like, 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 no, nah, oh, oh, man, all y'all need to calm down. And he calls the child over there and says, hey, whoever works and loves like this kid, he's going to be the greatest. Saying, listen, there's, there's a lot of workers. The worker isn't important. The work is what's important. Ego is the enemy. Uh, I read this book by Tony, uh, excuse me, Holiday, and Ryan Holiday. Excuse me, I don't know where I got Tony from. Ryan Holiday, um, called Ego is the Enemy, and it's and it's, it's great. It's, it says kind of the same thing. You know, ego is your enemy. Fighting over who's going to be the greatest, that's not the point. You know, just put your nose down. Take the jobs no one else wants to do. See what needs to be done and just work hard and do it. Doesn't matter if anyone ever gives you a pat on the back. Just do the work because the work is what's important. There's millions of people that that will die and have died in the faith as Christians. There was the work was going on before you were born. The work will be going on after you die. People getting saved, people preaching to Jesus, preaching about Jesus until he comes back. So if he doesn't come back in your lifetime, it'll the work was here thousands of years before you to be here after you. The, the worker is important. You aren't so important. Once you're saved. You, you kind of go into the fold. Jesus says he'll leave the 99 that are saved for the one that is lost. Once you've been saved, you, you're really not at the forefront. The ministry is about saving souls. Once a soul has been saved, you're just you're safe. I don't have to worry about you. You're safe. No big deal. You're safe. You're good. It's not about you. Now it's about the next person that needs to be saved. If you have a problem with ego, there's a jet flying by. I'm not sure if you guys can hear it. I told you I was at, I have the um, out here in a beautiful place. So. Hopefully the jet didn't, didn't, didn't pick up too much. Um, maybe it didn't at all. Uh, so a couple things, if you have a problem with, with the ego is one, remember that you're one of millions. Remember the work is important, not the worker that's been saved. Number two, uh, you know, the work is here before you got here. Number three, the work will be after you're gone. And number four, the one I hadn't told you is that you are flawed. You are flawed. Remember 
Your toilet stinks. And the grace of God is the only reason the world can't smell it. I said that in my last podcast. And uh, and that's it's important to know we are flawed. We can't think too highly of ourselves. God says you, you lift your chest up. He'll humble you. and You don't want God to humble you because he will humble you. The work is important. Luke nine. John said to Jesus, Master, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons, but we told him to stop because he isn't in our group. Verse 50. But Jesus said, don't stop him. Anyone who is not against you is for you. So number nine, never hate on another believer. Never hate on another believer. There were I, I see. And this is this is something that really gets me when people hate on other believers. I've heard people hate on everybody from Rod Parsley to Joel Osteen to uh, Jimmy Swagger to you name it. And my, my response to that always is there's Satanist in the world. And I, I don't mean like, oh, these are haters. I mean, people that worship Satan. There are Satanists in the world. There are atheists in the world. There's people that aren't uh, believers in Jesus Christ. With all of this going on, why would you spend even an ounce of energy attacking someone that believes in Jesus? That's what Jesus said. Jesus yells it. If you, you read your Bible, it has an exclamation mark here. Don't stop him. Anyone who is not against you is for you. It's important. It's important for us to know this. Important. Enough. Hey, don't stop them with everything, with the people that are enough people that are against us. We have to use every piece of energy to move in that direction. Every single piece of energy to move in that direction. If they're not stopping us, hurting us, then we're just hating. Jesus says, hey, man, stop it. So, hey, if you've been getting on some, you know, televangelist, some Christian leader, some other Christian to stop it. There's too many evil things going on for you to spend energy. That's to me. That's uh, not a good way out. That's not a good look. Not a good way of using your energy. And Jesus says the same thing. Stop it. If they're not against us, let's roll with it because there are enough people against us that we need to correct. All right, moving on to number ten. Lastly, Luke nine, starting at verse fifty-seven. As they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, "I will follow you wherever you go." But Jesus replied. Foxes have dens to live in, birds have nests, but the son of man has no place even to lay his head. He said to another person, come, follow me. The man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. Another said, yes, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me say goodbye to my family. But Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Number 10, don't be afraid to move toward hardship, forsaking all in the process. Missionaries get this. Sometimes we look at missionaries and missionaries want to, uh, they're, they're leaving the comfort of air conditioning they're living the comfort of safety and not uh, being on a run to possibly be murdered or speared to death, which has happened to missionaries. And they're leaving everything comfortable. To go to someplace uncomfortable to preach Jesus. Don't be afraid to leave comfort. I know it's comfortable having everybody at work like you. And you don't want to bring up as something as uncomfortable as religion and divisive as Jesus. But leave your comfortable place. Someone's soul depends on you. And yet yeah, that soul will be accounted to you. You have an opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus and you know Holy Spirit is pricking you like this person needs me. But you don't tell them and they go to hell. 
God looks at you like, man, yo, what's up? You want to come in, but man, look at that guy. He's not. And you could have changed it. And it's not a guilt thing. It's, hey, be be bold. Don't be afraid. In Revelation, said the cowardly go to hell. And I get it. We're so afraid to, to lose the comfort of the way our friends look at us and the comfort of the money that we have, the comfort of the luxury of the respect that we have, that we're really willing to let someone die and spend eternity in agony before we have a few people think we're uncool. Wow. Don't be afraid to move toward hardship, forsaking all in the process. Ten ways to be a more effective Christian. Catch you next time. Listen, I really appreciate you checking out today's podcast. Make sure to find me on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Levi Johnny Griffin. Hit me up on Twitter at Levi underscore Griffin. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Apple podcast platforms, Google podcast platforms, and Stitcher. Also, place a link to this podcast in your social media feed and tag me in it, Levi Johnny Griffin, for a chance to co-host a show with me. Hey, I want to leave you with this. Four evidences of Christian faith. One is belief. We believe in what Jesus did on the cross. It's what covers us and gives us access to the glory of God. B, lifestyle. It just means we live like we believe it. Jesus tells us to live right, we live right. C, we evangelize. What does that mean? We teach other people about Jesus so they can have faith. Indeed, we spread the lifestyle. We teach them how to live like they have faith. How do we do that? We connect them to a church and we connect them to plenty of Christian material. Bibles, Christian books, Christian movies like The Passion, and even Christian podcasts like Word Today. Share it with your friends. If it's blessing you and you're eating and growing from it, let someone else eat and grow from it as well. I love each and every one of you. Let's keep praying and keep pushing in the faith together.